Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Seagulls, seagulls, pigeons, pigeons. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Claps, claps, claps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the Did You Put Your Name in the Goblet of Fire, Graham Potter podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend, <laughs> Bradley Adams. That was very funny. That was very witty. Thanks. Because it's like Graham Potter, who is Harry a Potter. football manager, and then Harry Potter. Who is also a wizard of a coach. That was good. That was also good. I would, I would, I, it was one of those sort of, I'd give you a little handshake, like a sort of a, yes, it, it, well it, gets one, it gets one of these, you know, like the, do you know what I mean? A little, a little sniff through the nose. Speaking of sniff through the nose, are you still ill? Uh, a little. Got a bit of a cough. Do we have to pretend that you're really ill for, does anyone at work, gonna let, Brad's had the day off, so. <laughs> nah, no one at work listens to this podcast. Hey, maybe they do. I, I, I fucking hope not anyway. Let's. You never know. You never know. Uh, welcome back to the Different Knock podcast. Uh, we hope you're very well. Welcome to Monday. Uh, welcome to the start of your week. Uh, hope it's been a good one. Hope you're well. Yeah. To start off, mo- most important thing, hope all hope is you good enjoyed in a, your life. A good weekend of the Barclays. <sighs> Just one normal day. That's all I want. How are you, Brad? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Other than being ill? Other than being ill, I'm all good. Uh, enjoyed the football yesterday, you know. It's uh, such a good match. Such a it good really match. was. Mo yeah. Salah is, mate. That oh. bit of skill to get past. It's after the first. It's after he sort of beats his first man, and he does like a one-two with himself. He's unbelievable. I, it's oh, it's elite levels. I think I texted you actually, like, and not to kind of get into the Arsenal stuff straight away, relating everything to Arsenal all the time. But I do think we miss. I watched a clip of. I think it's on this day we beat uh, United three nil. And I mm. watched the Sanchez involvement, goal involvements, and oh, we just yeah. we miss someone like that, man. We miss a we goal miss scoring a winger. We do. Yeah. We miss a goal scoring winger, um, or like a, a winger in the inside forward mold, which Sanchez was. Uh, absolutely, I think that's also evident in this game. That you know, to kind of segue and, and crack straight on with the Brighton talk, it is evident that we miss some clinical cutting edge. And also that we miss a striker that suits 100% of what Mikel wants to do. You know, whether you think, we will get into whether we were set up correctly or what, but I think it is painfully obvious we have two strikers that if you put them together and created like Obama Zet would be perfect for what he wants to do. Would have the link-up play, the pace, the finishing. Um, but he's there's constantly a choice, this kind of constant 50-50 of what's going to be better. Yeah, in the game. I think, you know, hopefully that's something we address in, in more likely in the summer rather than January. But there is news going around that we're trying to ship Lacazette off for about 10 million euros, 9 million pounds in January. And so maybe we'd bring someone in, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the game, we do have a very big announcement, don't we, Brad? Has your erection gone down? Bradley got retweeted by his idol. I yes, did. I did. the real life Hugh Wizzing. The real life Hugh, Hugh Wizzing. It was amazing, mate. I, 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 and the tweet banged. It's got like 70 likes. Oh, what a mate. I was, I was so pleased with myself. Oh, wait, let me read the tweet. Let me read the tweet. No, it's fine. You wait. don't have to. No, uh, come on, so- <laughs> come on. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna toot my own horn, you bastard. Um, so Mr. Wizzington uh, tweeted out thoughts at the halftime break. And my thoughts at the halftime break were... Only real positive is we haven't conceded and we've stayed decently resolute at the back. Brighton are set up better and playing us off the park at points. Potter has to get a big job soon. Would love him with our squad. Brilliant analysis. And Mr. What's- Whizzington, 
Mr. Wizington thought it was good enough for a little retweet and a. What's he, what's his full name? Husef. 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 Sir Husef Hugh of Wizington. Okay, right. <laughs> Known colloquially to his mates as Hugh Wizzy. Uh, yeah. Right, let's get into it, mate. So, um, yeah, it's it's Monday now, so we we normally record either not straight after the game, but sort of the morning after the game. Um, and I've had a bit of time to reflect. Uh, do you want to go first, or shall I, on the old word of the game? Old word of the game, um, reality. I think for me, this shows kind of the, the back to reality. Um, it, it takes us back to, 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 the, to, the, to the situation that we're in, you know. Um, I think that we've definitely uh, overreacted to a, a great result against a very bad Spurs side. You know, and I think the lads were up for it because it's a North London derby, and it was a we you know it wasn't hard to really play them off the park. But as soon as we've come up against somebody who is set up well, we again have dropped points. You know, uh, and I think if you look at our season so far, we have won against piss poor teams who are playing poorly, and we've not the only one we've won against c- convincingly is Spurs. And we've lost or dropped points against any team that has any sort of decent setup. You know, Brentford are set up well to play a good game plan. Chelsea obviously are, City obviously are, and Brighton are. And I think that's a major concern for me that every time we come up against any squad, you know, because all, all four of those teams set up in com- pretty much completely different styles and ways, other than maybe you could draw similarities with the kind of 3-4-3 three, three kind of thing with with Chelsea and Brighton. It's it's a real concern for me. It's also a real concern for me that we're gonna. We'll definitely at one point mention the fact that we uh, were missing Granite Xhaka, but you know I think it speaks volumes of, of the system that Brighton have and of Potter's work that they can be missing Webster, Basuma, and oh god, who else was it? Webster, Basuma, and someone else. And and they they played they played us off the park for a lot of the game and I think that at the end of the day, whilst it's a, a bit of a logical fallacy and a slight false comparison, if this was Emery and we were talking about conceding twenty shots to Brighton, there would be a, a much bigger reaction to this. And it's also not that all twenty shots were from ridiculous positions. If Brighton actually put their shooting boots on that day and, and performed at their XG, they would have won and they should have won. So it's a point gained where we should have lost, but it's two points dropped because we just didn't play well enough. We weren't set up well enough. And it's a big concern for me that there's no malleability. I don't know if that's a word, but malleability within our system and setup. And the fact that um, one first team starter comes out and we look again uh, hapless and I'm, I'm seeing tweets as well from people saying, you know, oh, the bench isn't Mikel Arteta's. Well, the starting 11 was. And then you're talking about the player that came in for Xhaka Those being a Mikel. Those running yeah. thin. And Those also, like, Lacazette La is somebody that Mikel and, the, and everyone decided to keep when they had an offer from Roma. We've extended Martinelli. We've brought Elneny back to the club when there's been interest. You know, Tavares is a signing. Holding's got a new contract. A lot of these players that are on the bench are players that Arteta has either decided to keep or extended. So I don't think that excuse flies anymore. This is Mikel Arteta's squad and team. And I know I'm I'm going on a bit, but just to put it into context, Potter's had an extra six months at Brighton than Arteta has had. They've played roughly the same amount of games because obviously we have European football. But I think Arteta spent something like over 80 or 100 million more than Potter to to cre- create and assemble the squad that he has. And when we're talking about the fact we've spent over 200 million pounds now on this squad, this can't be the best that we're seeing after two years, one game a week. Football, you know, it's, it is starting to get unacceptable, these levels at points, when we come up against anyone half decent. Because Brighton were there for the taking, they really were. Okay, so I, I share a lot of your concerns. I, I probably wouldn't go as far as you to say it's unacceptable, but I do, I do, I do share your concerns, and I do agree with your point around the sort of the four teams that have been 
basically well set up this season we've struggled i think there's a lot of caveats around that you know sort of injuries covid etc at the beginning of the season yeah. but i do i do see your point about about that i've been thinking a lot this week mate like about like what what is the job of an analyst what's the job like what are we what do we do on this podcast like what's the point of all this like why hmm. why do people and we're really blessed to have a you know a, a decent listenership you know who who listen every week and 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 like what is the the function of it and of course it's got a lot of functions and I think one of it is contextualizing and putting things into perspective or and sharing our perspective and, and you know, hopefully the dynamic between us and we have two different perspectives and people mm-hmm. take away what they can, right? And that's the same with all analysis. It's the same with Sky, BT, et cetera, et cetera. You're just trying to project a narrative and a, <clears throat> a perspective onto a game and present something. And I think my perspective on this game is all I can share. And I felt, and my word of the game is learning, so while I share all of those feelings, I my perspective on the game is it fits into a wider context of a team that is learning and a team that is building. So I, I, I actually, and I don't think this discounts anything you said, I just would sit further on the side of kind of, I look at that team and I go, if Thomas Partey, I think it's something like he has like 12 duels, I've got the stat here, give me a second. Thomas no, Partey con- contested 12 duels against Brighton and won just two of them. If Thomas Partey, your senior, senior, central midfielders having a game like that you're going to struggle yeah. uh, I don't think uh, Emil Smith-Rowe didn't complete a single pass to Martin Erdegaard um, we, were, we really struggled in the midfield and we'll get into the sort of more tactical side of why I think we did struggle but what I think overall for, for where this game fits into the kind of Arsenal Arsenal new Arsenal I'm going to call them um, idea under Arteta Arteta getting his players in Arteta having the time that he's had I think this fits into a learning a learning category of what went wrong I think sort of basic headlines are like we need to get better at beating a press. That is, and that's a thing. Ramsdale talks about that in his post match. It's something that is gen- like you know definitely being discussed. Um, and Arteta spoke about it. I think in all, I think in all three of his. So he does one for Arsenal dot com, one for Sky, and one for the sort of the general um, populace of media. And he said it in each three of those, which I thought was really interesting. It's obviously something that's in his mind. We didn't beat the press, and it's something we need to work on. We're looking at a young team. Think of the on an individual basis. Think of the 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 likes of Sambi, what he would have learned today. Erdegaard, Smith Rowe, Saka. These players are learning consistently. And while I think we can we can allow too much, I think based on what I've seen and based on the sort of contextual uh, framework of this of this Arsenal side, I think this was a game for learning, which is why I feel quite. And maybe it's because I'm I'm on Monday and I haven't just sat through an hour and a half of football that felt pretty pretty turgid and pretty dry at times, or very wet. <laughs> maybe would be a more accurate way of saying it. Um, I I and you know and perhaps you know frustrations about people excusing it because of the rain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe I'd be responding differently on Saturday, but my perspective right now is all I can share, and I just feel like it was a game for learning. That's all. That's all I've got really. I know. Uh, <clears throat> I understand what you're saying, uh, and I don't think you're wrong. I just think that we're two years into a into a process, and I think it's very hard for you to ask the fans to almost allow you to make that shift from being, you know, two years in, oh, but we're learning, we're learning now. And I think here's the issue. Not only do we have a squad that are learning, but we do have a manager that's learning on the job. You know, two years in and we're seeing the same faults, the same mistakes and the same issues crop up again and again and again. Late substitutions. I, I, I don't agree with that. I think we've got new problems. I think we've got new. I I, I think I I agree that we we are you know we're still not where we need to be, but I think we have new problems, mate. Oh, but we have new problems that are also matching the old problems, mate. We're not like making what? substitutions quick enough to change games. We're tactically rigid. We still can't create through the middle of the park unless you have a Tottenham midfield where Dali Ali's at right wing, and on Bellet's basically in Rosette, and Hoiberg's playing box to box, and there's no midfield there for you to contest. You know, we are, whilst we also have the issues that we were once having about the tactical rigidity, the lack of substitutions, we are now adding to those problems by having a young, inexperienced squad that points aren't going to be able to, um, that aren't going to make the right decisions 100% of the time. It, it, it's a real struggle to, to, because we're sitting here and we're going, you know, you know, this is a game for learning. We're trying to move forward. 
But there is only so much time that we can allow that in the sense of it's been two years, it's been 200 million pounds. There has to come a point where taking away the squad, you have to appraise Arteta for his entire tenure, not just the last six weeks. And it, it, even if you were to just appraise it on the last six weeks, it isn't good enough, let alone if you look at the entire tenure of it. So, uh, and again, I, I'm very much in the middle. I think that the only reason that you would, and I said this on the, on the post-match instant reaction, the only reason that you would sack Arteta at this point is if somebody of a much higher quality came available. Like, I think if Graham Potter came available, you should make the decision to move him. If Ten Hag became available, if Marco Rosa came available, I think there's a couple of candidates across the world where if they could become available, they have a proven track record with working with what they have with young squads. You, We have too much inexperience. We have an inexperienced squad and an inexperienced manager, and it is costing us, you know, over the last uh, five, six years, uh, goals by game week seven, in 2015, it was 10. In 2016, it was 16. In 2017, it was 11. In 2018, it was 14. In 2019, it was 12. In 2020, it was nine. And this season, it's five. You know, we aren't doing enough. We aren't scoring enough. We aren't creating enough. The one thing that you can kind of commend at points this season is our defensive solidity. But we know that, you know, Mikel had a decent defense last season. We were losing games, but we were losing the 1-0 and restricting shots. But we were still losing games because we couldn't create or take chances. I just think that there isn't there isn't enough progression from him himself. There isn't enough learning for two years. If you're two this man works this job every day. He doesn't strike me as a man who who goes on holiday and is doing nothing but thinking about football. You know, he he like I just I think he is hyper focused on being the best he can be, whatever. So if you take into context the fact that we're two entire years into him being a manager, and we're still seeing the issues that we were seeing in in the first half of the season that he took over from Emery in, with the substitutions, with the tactical rigidity, and then last season, it it's a big issue for me because the game was there to be won. And we saw that when Lacazette and Pepe stepped on the pitch that we went up a notch because we had something that allowed us to get into those central spaces. You know, we had Lacazette dropping deep and bringing other players into, into play. And it was no surprise that after that happened, we uh, had probably our best chance of the game where Smith Rowe should square it to Saka. But obviously I think an older player makes the decision to do that, but he doesn't, you know, I just, I think, and this is by no mean my Mikel out mantra, um, but I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy after this game of of people saying people who are Mikel out were are, are being um, too quick or they're overreacting. When I saw people on Twitter after the Tottenham game claiming Mikel had had created this phenomenal culture from the kit mat down to the cameraman and. And it's and everything good about Arsenal Football Club is coming from him and, you know, treating him like he's the next messiah. Yeah, I, I hear your perspective, mate. And I, and I, and I, and I respect it. I, I just think we have new issues and I, and, and I see it in a different way. And, and but what, I issue, makes... uh, uh, what issues, mate? So what are the new well, issues? I, I think the new issues are, well, I think let's, let's start on what he's fixed. I think we've, we've developed a kind of positional play way of way of going about things i think we've we've added quality in positions that needs to now fulfill its potential i think we've created a, a solid and consistent platform from which to build our build-up looks looks a lot more consistent and a lot less choreographed than it did i think the characterization of this game in this phase was a, for me around individual performances being poor now that can't happen every week. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's just, that's not going to happen every week. And I think he was out tactic by Graham Potter. That's what happened today. But I also think we have to, the new problems to me don't feel like they are, um, do you remember a while ago I talked about, um, uh, it feels like a boat and every time, or maybe you talked about a boat where we're, we're shoveling water out or like, we've got like a little tiny little, like 
cup and we're like getting a little bit of water out and then a new thing springs a leak every single time there's nothing we can do about constantly fixing problems and a new one will arise i think i feel as though we've now got a solid platform of young hungry players we've fixed a lot of the kind of soft factory leaderships type stuff that's happening and i think the newer problems are now basically based on individual errors and a sort of sense of of um creation a basic creation issue which is which has been there for a while but i think we've fixed a lot of the platforming issues and fixed a lot of the framework around that and fixed the i think we i think we we basically improved a a huge amount in the first and second phase in build-up phase i think we massively improved defensively i think this is a game that especially in these conditions we lose two three years two three years and beyond ago I like I I I really I really do see it that way and and unfair if you don't but that's just that like, I just think just... I I think it's I don't think we can excuse what we witness and what we witnessed against Norwich and what we witnessed against Burnley to being purely individual errors maybe the Burnley game you no, know, I didn't, Burnley and that's not that's not what I said I said I said no. in this game yeah but I even in, in this in, in this game. game there were poor in this game there were poor games but you ha- uh, individually across the board. But a lot of that came from the tactical decisions of a superior manager or a superior coach. You know, you had Lakonga being marked so he could only make the inside channel pass. So we lost the whole of our kind of what is our um, over-reliance on our left-hand side. We couldn't get the ball out to the left-hand side at points because we didn't have a left-footed midfielder in there. Um, we were... It, I, I think it's a bit... Short-sighted is the right phrase, but a bit too harsh to say. um, I I think it is a little short-sighted to say that this game was wholly down to individual errors. And that's why this, this, most of the individual performances came from the fact that there was no support in, there was no no support in midfield. Yeah. I said he'd been out tactic, but I think it's characterized by individual errors. Oh yeah. Then fair enough. Then, uh, but I, I just... I, I just feel like sometimes we talk about him like he's four months into the job. He's two, I, I agree he's with that. Two years I, I, into I profession, he's two years into professional management with players that he's had for an awfully long time, and the fact that we we relied on a sensational free kick against Burnley, a dodgy tap in against Norwich, and going up against a Spurs side that literally didn't have a midfield to win three games. And now we've come up against somebody who set up their team half decently. We're again struggling. I, I don't. I don't think it's acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable to be two years into a process and be so rigid and be so. You know, adding players is meant to uh, enhance what you are able to do. We have added players in creative positions, and we still haven't enhanced our creativity. That's been the problem for the last uh for the whole of last season and then for this you know the start of this season as well and i don't think that comes overnight and i think adding other players has fixed play- but, but alex it's not fixed, overnight fixed it in it's- no no I, i'm i'm saying it doesn't happen overnight and that that cre- like fixing the creativity and i think when you say adding players should change you i think it has in other areas look we're, we're, we know we're, we're sort of going around it we're, we're not going to agree on that and that's, we'll, we'll, and that's we'll move on but one thing i will say we're not it's not overnight we had martin erdegaard for six months and we still weren't creating enough we've added him to this squad it's it's not a question of it's it's as in like it's we're seven eight months in and to having a to having an attacking midfielder it's not a oh you don't fix that overnight problem mate it's been longer than overnight it's been eight months it's been the course of a season almost in time. Yeah, look, look, we're, we're, we, we don't see it the same and, that, and that's fine. I, I, I view it as he's building a platform on which to to grow something and the growth needs to happen. I'm not saying, I, I agree with you what you said about, you know, we kind of treat him sometimes like he's four months into the job. I, I agree with you. Like there, there should be, we should be seeing more. Like a team like, uh, the team that we put out yesterday should have been able to beat Brighton. But if we get into it, I think perhaps, perhaps it'll be a bit clearer what I'm sort of talking about. Okay. Um. So, uh gabriel is great i think yeah. he's fucking great and we talked about him a little bit but like and i and i know this is a probably a little bit hyperbolic but i do i do see shades of virgil about him mate i really do i think it's in the separation i think it's in this sort of because of his height he sort of feels like he's taking less strides to to cover mm. the same amount of distance as other people it's that kind of physical dominance um lost his tooth yesterday for the second time against brighton bless two two teeth um, mate two teeth 
Yeah, but the other and remember the last time was against Brighton as well. Was it against Brighton um, again? Oh, fuck. yeah, yeah, that's fine again. Um, yeah, and and I thought he he did really well with uh, sort of the, uh, the uh, separation. I said on the instant reaction, like the he was sort of shepard, uh, shepharding. He was shepharding, uh, shepherding Trossard, he was shepharding, shepharding uh, Trossard and Gross uh, out nicely on that sort of uh, right hand channel. I thought basically, mate, that. Brighton did really, really well in the high press and we couldn't get out. And I think there's a couple of reasons why we couldn't get out. And yes, well, I'll come to individual errors. But I think I think this was the game for our squad. And I'm not sure this was the game for the likes of Saka and Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe in that sort of the way we saw them against Tottenham combining in those sort of short distances mm. because Brighton weren't going to allow us to do that. We needed runners. We needed sprinters. That's where the spaces were. If we're trying to create overloads, if we're trying to create positional or numerical superiorities or qualitative superiorities, whatever we're trying to do, trying to do we have to look where the spaces are and the spaces were not um, were not where we were playing, basically. No. And that's something that I will put on Arteta. That's his problem. However, as I say, I think this was characterised basically by individual flaws. If you have a midfield and and a striker like a, a, a Bamiyang dropping, and I'm, I'm not going to say stinkers, but pretty poor games. In the, you know, and I'm I'm not even going to talk about conditions. I'm not even going to enter the conversation about what yeah, it's raining. It's, <laughs> it's raining for both teams. They're, they're professional uh, footballers as well. Yeah. Like. yeah. But I think when I thought Thomas Partey, I thought Sambi, I thought Erdegaard, and I thought Abamyang all had pretty poor games, lost a lot of duels, lost a lot of individual take-ons, uh, looked positionally weak, got bullied. And when you have that, it's really difficult to dominate a game. And something else I said in Instant Reaction, which I still stand by, is when our game relies on possession and we don't have the ball, we've got a problem. And this is what this is a development area in our game. We need to find other ways of winning games. We need to find other ways of, and I think we have a platform to build that on now, which we didn't have before, which is what, what I believe, and perhaps you don't, but I do. I think we have a platform to find something else, uh, find a different way of winning, whether it's being a transition team, counter-attacking, whether it's being a team that, I don't know, just gives the ball to party and one day he will find the net. Um, whatever it is. <laughs> like, Mate, he needs I... to be fined every time he takes a long shot <laughs> like that. It's Please mental. give me the confidence of Thomas Party stepping up to a, like a free kick 50 yards away and just walloping it over the fucking crossbar. It is, it is absolutely wild. Um, he's, but... The thing is, is he's so desperate for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we need to find other ways to win. But I but I also thought there was elements of our play that I really liked. I thought Aubameyang was pressing really nicely as he's always done uh, the last couple of weeks, always done the last couple of weeks, as he started to do the last couple of weeks. I thought the distances were really nice um, when we were crowding them. Uh, there was always two or three options for the short release. Um, I just thought we got penned in. And when you have individual performances like that, if you can't, if you can't get out and you can't hold on to the ball in the midfield, you will never you will never have any kind of proper chances up the other end because you won't be no. able to get up there. You literally no. won't be able to get up there yeah. if Party can't hold on to the ball, if Sambi can't hold on to the ball. So it's not just, it's not all individuals, but I would say it's more individual than system on t- today on, on Brighton's mm, performance. I, w- I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree. I think, I, but, but here's why. I think the system created a lot of the individual errors. The way that we were playing and the way that we were set up to play caused a lot of the individual errors. And this is, a, this is again, a false comparison. But if you play a right winger at right back and they have a shocker, it's not because it's because you're, you're, you're playing them in the wrong system or in the wrong way. And obviously that's very different to today because it was a, it was a team setup that caused, that for me caused a lot of the individual errors. You know, you're looking at party at, at some points. I don't know whether he was, uh, just on holiday in his mind or something, but the inability to get that ball up to Erdegaard and to Smithrow because, you know, the first touches were off from the whole team. They forgot to take it on the A24 with them when they were on the way down to Brighton. Um, Good reference. But I think that that's, I, again, I th- <laughs> it's it's a game of opinions, isn't it? Like, I think Where's that, your opinion? <laughs> that Harry Redmond. Smart. Where's your opinion? You know, it's, again, it's a game of opinions. It's- yeah, fucking hell. Uh, I, and I, I do just think that, like, I agree with you. One of the main reasons that we 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 were shit was the individual play. But I think that it is as much to do with the system as it was to do with the the players involved because 
for me, I look at that and I go, even if all of those players are playing to their best, we were still lacking the things that would have really got us into Brighton's final third and given us those opportunities, which were a runner in behind like Nicola Pepe. Um, but again, I think that he's not good enough. I think it's time for us to move him on, him on if possible. When he was brought on, he had Dan Byrne isolated. I think it was Dan Byrne isolated twice at one point, a, a couple of points. And I, I was like, and, and it just did nothing, did nothing. Um, so I, I, I have some sympathy because I think that if maybe we had changed the system earlier, that it would, there would have been a, a little bit more opportunity for that. But yeah, well, so we shifted to a sort of 4-2-3-1, 60 minutes in, maybe. Uh, we were sort of 4-4-2 out can... of possession. Um, th- th- I mean, where where I, I feel this game was won and lost was on minutes, the wings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, uh, mate. Because Kukurela and, oh. and Veltman were fantastic, and I think there's a reason. And I think it's about... I think it's a basically a numbers game, mate. I, I I really do. I mean, I think Arsenal generally struggle against the back three and with wing backs. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure why. I, I still maybe it's just my understanding of the game. I, I don't yet understand why, but I I, I think we do struggle, um, and we tend to have struggles against teams who who sort of play that. But I think you know, there's one shot at one moment where, and it was while Brighton were building up of a really compact, uh, tight knit group of Gabriel White. Uh, I think it Tom, Tommy Asu, Party and Sambi, like really tight, like you know five, five, six Arsenal players around, basically mm. two or three Brighton players while they had the ball on our wing. It's like okay, yes, I get being compact, but they've just got the ball here, and unless we sacrifice a couple of numbers and go out and get get at them a little bit, we're, we're going to struggle. I thought, um, yeah, I thought Cucurella had a, had a fantastic game, um, but it, it but yeah, I, I, go to a bigger club because. You know, you think for the for the system that Chelsea play, he'd be perfect for that left wing back spot. Yeah, I think they've 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 got a left back, haven't they? Other than Alonso, Chill. Oh, they got Chill, Chill and Alonso. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I just thought they're gonna gonna let that go. Yeah, but um, this is Chelsea, mate. They'd fucking Roman Abramovich would kill his own mother to like get a better person in the role. Do you know what I mean? Premier League title. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, can I just say Brighton's chants are so funny? Seagulls, seagulls. See, imagine anywhere else. Fucking hell. <laughs> pigeons, pigeons, pigeons. Brad left, so he missed my joke, but that's fine. Um, I didn't. I, so- I laughed. I, I had a chuckle as I turned my light on because it, it's a bit dark in here. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, look, Brighton were really good. I, I mean, I, as you said, uh, they were ago, really good. They were yeah, very. They were. They were good, fan- like- fantastic high press. They're a very, very well organized team. Graham Potter's a great coach. Look, uh, if Modair, I think it is, has has his shooting boots on, we lose two or three nil today, mate. Like you know, oh they, god, yeah, we're very um, lucky, and I think this is why. But also, yeah. shout out to the defense because at points we were defending incredibly resolutely. Like they yep. were, they were good. You know, Ramsdale, uh, White, Tommy Asu, probably in the second half rather than the first. Gabriel and Tierney, not in his defensive phase, not in the attacking phase, because again, he's. He's not been on form for the last couple of weeks. Crosses aren't beating. He? Crosses yeah. aren't beating the first man. But I think it it, it comes from the type of and I'm, we're spiraling. You know, fucking case in point with why Bradley Adams isn't the host of different not podcasts because all he does is spiral into different talking points. <laughs> um, he's having to do low crosses because there's no one in there who's winning headers. So he's doing low crosses against fucking Lewis Dunk and Dan Byrne and. Yeah, and it's... Shane Duffy, who have got legs longer than my fucking lifespan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also before we sort of highlight sort of maybe bits in the second <laughs> half, uh, I thought Trossard was excellent. He reminds me of Erdegaard a little bit. He pops up between the lines. He's he drops into midfield. He's got a lovely. He's quite he's he's quite compact. He's also I think he's only twenty six. If Brighton struggle or they lose Potter, I'd love him as a sort of Erdegaard backup. I would, I would love that. I think he's a really, really good player. I just um, don't think we need him. We've got, um, yeah, he's twenty six, but because we've got, you know, you think of the players that we've got in that position, you know, Smith Rowe. Yeah, I, I think Smith Rowe's a slightly different. I think Odegaard offers us a slightly different thing. I mean, there's even shouts of him potentially being included in in the two as a sort of four two three one with Odegaard in, in there. I think, I think he he just sits a bit deeper and plays. I almost see him if, if I'm imagining the pitch. And again, this is an audio platform, so this will struggle here. But imagine the pitch. I sort of see him 
on the right side of the centre circle doing shuttle runs sort of between boxes but not going mm. in. Do you know what I mean? I see him in that zone. Yeah. And I no, think no, that's, no. Where, that's where I saw Trossard. And Smith I see a bit more sort of uh, horizontally across the pitch uh, than, than Odegaard. But yeah, listen. Yeah. I just think for me, I'm I, in a squad building sense, I'm a bit against having basically two of the same player. I think you should always have players that can offer you different things across different positions. I'm not sure Arteta is, mate. I think I think he he got Sambi and uh, and and Tavares as a uh, as sort of analogs, but yeah, yeah. But Tav- Tavares is is a left winger. Tavares isn't a left back. He can't Tavares, defend. Tavares is <laughs> what is he? <laughs> and I, I guess like, well, to be fair, I guess my favorite players, but he are oh, mate. He's sensational. But I think for me, I think it also depends on different positions. You probably want a back four and a goalkeeper that play exactly the same way, both back up and mainstays. Yeah. So like that's why when Saliba comes back, we really should put some emphasis into developing him into either taking over one of the two centre backs or being that rotational third centre back option, giving us the option to go into a three. Because statistically, yeah. he's phenomenal, mate. He's got one point six dribbles a game. He's dribbling more than most midfielders in Liga. Like genuinely, he, I, he's insane. I, I don't want to set you off, but I can't, I can't see him. I can't see him playing for Arsenal. Um, um, so but, yeah, no, let's go. Saliba I just said the word yeah I thought I thought the kind of we were kind of victims of and this is another another kind of development thing for the team to realise I think is because we were hemmed in for so long when we did get out we just panicked like we did, we and and I think it was us losing the jewels but also it was a kind of mental thing where we'd been back for so we've been sort of um in that sort of defensive phase for such long spells of the game I felt like we almost forgot how to build up or all that we how to move forward and we just panicked and started whacking balls left right and centre it was really strange I think the only player who I would say did well for us and it's no coincidence that he was like a, you know our best ball progressor and all that sort of stuff was Smith Rowe but he, Smith Rowe is fantastic I also thought it was no coincidence that the most exciting parts of our game were the moments of ball progression the moment where the ball went forward quickly because you know, if you look like, I think Party played Alba through at one point, um, might played Saka through at another point, maybe it was offside, I can't remember. Um, but there was some moments of, of quick ball progression and balls threaded through for runners that mm. felt like the antidote to the game, do you know what I mean? And I, and I sort of thought like, why why are we not focusing on this as a thing? I thought Saka had Dan Burn on absolute strings on the right-hand side at times. That boy uses his body so well. I need to stop saying that, it sounds so groupy. But he, you know, he... He really does, mate. He's just, his body, his body work is unbelievable. Um, yeah. So yeah, a frustrating game, really. Like I, I and and I do think it was a uh, a learning moment for a lot of those players. And maybe we should discuss the conditions because it was fucking mental. No, and, that, and, come and it's on. a good experience. <laughs> come on, they're prof- like they're on like a hundred grand a week. If your first touch isn't good enough in the rain, like what are you doing? But Ab- if you no, it was raining for it, <laughs> again. It was raining for both teams. Come on, Ty. Uh, like the Brighton first touch wasn't wasn't affected as much as ours was. Like they had a poor game, yes, but they had a poor game not because of the weather conditions, mate. It's ridiculous to try and even use that as an excuse. I'm not trying to use it as an excuse, or even as a reason, because there are they like it is empirical. If you're a build-up team. If you're a build-up team, a possession team, it's going to affect how you pass the ball. Like, why, the didn't it, why didn't it affect Ra- Brighton then? Well, they didn't beat us, mate. Chill out. It wasn't like 6-0. It was 0-0. No, they nearly it fe- fucking did. It mate. affected both teams. Um, uh, I mean, Ramsdale was saying his kicking was off because because of the wind and stuff. So, listen, I, I don't want to... Yeah, he's your boy. So, maybe, maybe, I don't want to drag his name through the mud. Um, uh, 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 what else did I have to say? It was a bit yeah, fucking I, I, windy. It was it had been raining. Um, I thought Lacazette looked good when he came on. Um, yeah, set play nicely, but again, he just occupied mm-hmm. those spaces that no one was in. I mean, Erdegaard received eighteen passes in the whole game. Like, there's only so much. <laughs> if we if we're not going to occupy those zones, or we can't occupy those zones because we can't get out, there's 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 only so much we yeah. can do. And when it's raining that hard, Brad, I mean, it's just. <laughs> if you fucking say the words, it was raining one one more time. I will. I'll kill you myself. Okay. A couple of incidents. Um, the moment where Ramsdale got clattered by uh, oh God Duff, Duffy. There? Duffy. I think this is a fantastic point to talk about narratives. It's the clearest foul I've ever seen in my life, and Sky Sports 
tweet out after it that Ramsdale's gotten away with one. Somebody fucking WWE body slams him. Did you see the Pogba one the other day? Where he just like, he like gets him from his neck and like flips him over his shoulder. No, I didn't see that to be fair. It was wild. Have a, look it up. It was in the, who did they play again? Villa. I don't know. No, not Villa. No, they're Everton? because Tottenham played Villa. Everton. Uh, it was in the early kickoff on Saturday. And Pogba literally just WWE's him. No one, no one talks about it. It's mental. Yeah. Do you know what? And, and, and you're right to bring up narratives as well. There was a moment where, um, and I'm sure you were watching the sort of Slovenian uh, coverage of it. No, I was actually watching the Sky coverage of it because my, 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 my very, very, my, my very, very legal. Oh no, I didn't pay for it, but my very, very legal streaming of it was the Sky version. Okay. But you legally streamed it though, Brad. I legally streamed it. I just didn't pay Sky for it. Do you want my now TV? I think I've got a login. I'm pretty sure you can use. Yeah, I'll take it. Cool. All right. <laughs> you can have my, you can have mid Disney Plus login or whatever you want. Oh, thanks. We'll trade. Thanks. Um, <laughs> we could share a Netflix. Uh, the different not Netflix. The different net. No, sharp. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. I, it, completely classic. And you're right to bring up narratives. That's what I was going to say because um, the commentators stopped for like five five six minutes at one point it was really bizarre there was just no sound and then they just said sorry for lack of commentary and they came back and said sorry we lost you there anyway uh like no explanation of what happened um i was speculating there could have been a fight but what was interesting is kind of having a moment where you realize how much of your game is dictated to by the coverage you watch and it's the conversation we Mm. keep having about narratives go back and listen to the other podcast if you want a sort of a wider conversation about that but i do think Every single game, you have to be very, very conscious of not just taking on, like, what the guy on Sky said. And I think, you know, basically, if if the commentators are going, well, Brighton have penned them in here, you know, it's, it, that's, the, that's the read on the game you're, like, you're most likely to have. And the, the narrative that's most likely going to come out and be sort of the, 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 the trend about Arsenal that game. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. And that's where, that's where shows like the kickoff uh, back before they, they kind of went a bit more like Sky because they're a bit sensationalist for me now especially with what they talk about Um, but it's not even that they get the same people on to talk about different clubs when they have no like I can't tell you the amount of videos I've seen from them being like how like what's wrong with Arsenal with a bunch of people who literally oh it's like Rory that Chelsea guy it's like what do you know mate (laughs) and it's like yeah, like none of them watch Arsenal. Games. Honestly, so and, and and it's but when I when we first started this podcast, they were they were a lot better than they 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 are now. And I used to watch games, and even before we started this podcast, with the commentators off, listening to their comment commentary, because you used to have such a wide variety of different guests who would be experts in on different clubs, and you know also like I uh, last season I did I used to watch Hugh Wizzy at the same time I was watching the game to actually have an Arsenal Give ear his full name um Hugh Hughington Wizzle so Hugh Hugh of Wizzington <laughs> um you know and you do realize when you get back to watching Sky the amount of shit that they talk and the reason that certain football fans believe certain opinions and facts about players you know because they are fed that from commentators who are so obviously biased. You know, Ben White, um, nobody made more ball recoveries or clearances than Ben White in this game. Not a word was said about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I, yeah, and 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 yeah, I have nothing to, nothing to add. I completely agree. I also think, I mean, I'm barely qualified to talk about Arsenal. Some say well, I'm not qualified to talk about Arsenal. I don't think I'm qualified in any way to pass particular opinions on other teams i don't know how you could possibly follow all 20 premier league clubs well enough to pass judgment on every team i don't get it like you could you know what i mean like you could and, and people are so so clear they're like no arsenal this is the problem with arsenal it's like you know, you've watched us like once a season like, how do you know that like i, I yeah you watch I'm struggling probably... to put it like make make sense of it yeah. and i'm literally obsessed with the club so like you know i'm not and and i want like we watch every I'm, game i'm not genius but like do you know what i mean i'm trying yeah but we watch every game like you, you've got yeah. people talking about the club who watch probably the clash that they have with their own team, like that Rory guy. will probably watch the two Chelsea games against Arsenal, yeah. and then maybe a couple of big hitter and games like Arsenal Sky United or Arsenal Spurs, and listen to Sky. You know, it's it's bullshit. So p- please, listeners, yeah. fuck the mainstream find, media. If it's not if it, if it's not us, 
go, you know, hey, um, no, don't tell Gunner great. <laughs> Arsenal Vision podcast. All of these, go and listen to as many Arsenal fan led based media because what, well, there's, there's two avenues, just quick thing. Rivals are always a good barometer to assess the situation that sometimes you're so embroiled in. Like the fact that I've got Tottenham fans on my timeline going, how on earth did we let Arsenal thrash us this badly when they look like such an average team is a barometer of where we are. You've got rivals like, and they, they are speaking truth. We are average at the moment. But find people who at least are involved or at least watch the games and all of them and see the patterns to help you understand if you aren't available to watch all the games. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I, I do think you're right. It's like seeking out people who you, you kind of trust on that. Yeah. <sighs> Mine is Bradley Adams. Um, uh, Mine is Alex Moneypenny. Uh, I learned so much. Don't. I, I've, it's all recycled, mate. Um, like El Nani. It's all different tweets. Uh, so <laughs> that was, oh, you've missed that. I said it's like El Nani because he recycles possession. I thought you'd, I thought you'd find it funny. Oh, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Um, what was I going to say? I had something else to say. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The other incidents was uh, the Ramsdale save to deny Mope. Great fucking save. That was a Mate, great um, save. I saw a tweet. It could be bullshit, right? Um, but this guy said, you know, you've got like expected goals, post shot expect um, xG. I think this guy said like he he he. It's like save convert or so he said he'd created this metric to like how much a save can impact the opportunity on a chance and apparently that save turned the likelihood of a goal from being something like 89 percent to 16 percent with that one save. Mental. isn't he like fourth is, in the league for like all goalkeeper stats like he's doing amazing post shot expected goals yeah he's he's for post shot xg he's like fifth i think in the league which considering is considering his age it's incredible uh, and I th- also- well, um, um, one thing that was mentioned about him, I think, in the, uh, I don't, I think in press conferences as well, is his ability to handle pressure is brilliant. And I think spokes, that really, spokes, one thing speaks that speaks really well. But one thing that being relegated twice gives you—that's that's probably the highest pressure in football, more than more than winning the league. If you go down to the championship and you lose the 300 plus million pounds you get every season in TV money for being in the Premier League, you know, you might not be able to get back up for five, six, seven, eight years. Look what happened to Sunderland. They had successive relegations because of the issues going on at their club and the financial implications. Being relegated is, is you know, a, is big time pressure for anyone in that. And so being in two situations in two clubs where both have been relegated and he's been in those relegation dogfights, I think creates a certain type of mentality character and he's used to pressure at 23 years old. And that's a good thing for Arsenal to have. Definitely. Definitely, mate. Um, I thought Smith Rowe should have had a penalty, by the way, at the end. I thought it was a penalty, but probably a bit uh, of a what the Duffy Arsenal one fan penalty. Yeah. Yeah, it's, over it is, no, because pushed over. Like, he, he puts his arm on him and pushes him. And the thing is, right, what some people need to understand is when you're moving at that speed, it's so, one slight adjustment in your body positioning sends you to the floor. And with that movement of his arm, he doesn't even have to do it hard. There's a whole martial art based on this. Krav Maga is literally based off of using someone's momentum to send them to the floor or send them, like get them out of your vicinity. Krav Maga. tiny movements. Yeah, Krav Maga. It's, uh, it's um, I think pretty sure it's, it's an Israeli martial art. And the whole basis of this martial art is using your opponent's um, speed, power against them to maneuver them out of the way with like real, just slight adjustments. And that's basically what happens. He just makes a slight push on his back. It's not, it's not um, like a like a big penalty shout, but it is a penalty because he sends him to the floor in the box. There's nothing Smith Rowe can do about that, and he ruins the opportunity. It is a penalty. That is really true. Right, Brad. Oh, you <laughs> fucking wanker! <laughs> Come on, we got to finish there. Uh, we'll see you after this. 
geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. I, could, I was, you were looking at me a certain way and I was like, what is, what's going on? And I was like, he's waiting. He's too easy. Welcome he's back to News and News, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, leave us a review and you, and you can support us on Patreon, where you get access to episodes of The Instant Reaction, as well as ad-free ah. and filmed versions of the podcast for just £5 a month. And for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com, where you can... Buy me a coffee. The links are in the show description. Tweet in, Brad, from at Sir... No, hang on, what's he called? Sir underscore one Michael. He says... No, hang on, where is it? I've lost the tweet now. It's a disaster. Oh, here we go, yeah. You I tweeted about Arteta and he just put, the man is not good. <laughs> what about Arteta? Yeah, listen, we don't need to make hour-long podcasts. <laughs> go on, just just say it. Uh, it's clear. Uh, at AFC Benzo had a good point. Uh, I was I tweeted something about, about Arteta out shouts and he said, could flip that though and say everybody overreacted after one good performance in six games against Spurs. We weren't particularly yep. good against Norwich or Burnley, even though we won and have been awful tonight. The trend isn't us playing well, it's us being well below par. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Things have to improve quickly. It's not It's not bad enough yet for it to be kind of Arteta out, but if, if who have we got next? I think it's what Villa. Let's have a look. Yeah, I should. I always sort of international breaks happen, and I like sort of lose all sense of what's going on. Okay, we've got Palace at home. Where is it? Palace at home. Palace Villa at home, home. Villa at home. Leeds at home, and Leicester away. If we don't see a market, because what we've always said, right, is that we will accept bad results at points if at least we're playing well. And at least there looks like signs of improving. We're almost getting the opposite. We're getting results, but playing so badly. Uh, if we don't see a real distinct change in in the way that we're playing uh, against Palace, Villa, Leeds, and well, less Leeds, because that's the EFL Cup, but Leicester and, and then Watford, there is probably going to need to start being talk about change. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I was just thinking, do you reckon we should go watch that Leeds game, considering it probably won't be on TV? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Uh, Just pick up, pick up, pick up tickets, and we'll go. Okay. Uh, so, something I wanted to discuss actually, which I think was really interesting, is VAR and the lack of conversations around it. And when we consider, you know, the conversations that we had uh, on the podcast many, many times about lo- lots of different VAR decisions. Um, I do think that's a positive. I think there's 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 something different. I think it's sort of light, lighter touch. I think it's been less intrusive. I think it's been used better. And you know we've criticised it before, so I think we should we should credit it where it's where credit is due. Absolutely. I just think that we're also in a in a position of privilege because we watch most of the games from home. One thing I have um, seen, or at least witnessed, people saying is the VAR system in the ground still isn't good enough because people aren't getting replays. They're just being told to wait. Um, but you have to, you know, when you ask for improvements and there are palpable improvements in, in it, uh, yeah, I I mean, I still think that there are a few decisions going either way with, you know, I think Smith Rowe should have been awarded a penalty via VAR, but, um, officials are always going to get decisions wrong. The thing that we were just speaking about is how often it was happening. It was happening nearly every bloody game that there was a, a rogue VAR decision, it still gives me a heart attack when anything goes to VAR, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really, I don't feel informed enough on VAR to give a particularly like technical opinion. Like it should be, inf- it should be done this way or that way. I all I can say is from a, yeah, from a fan fan perspective, I feel as though it's being implemented in a better way. But you're right, maybe in the stadium, mm-hmm. that's a different perspective. Um, I wanted to point out an interesting article in the Athletic, which essentially uh, surveyed twenty agents. 
and asked them what the what they thought like was the best deal of the window, what was the worst deal of the window, what was the most surprising deal of the window, just like basically surveyed them and, and see what came out. Interestingly, the worst deal of the window with 35% of the uh, of the vote was Ben White from Brighton to Arsenal. And one of the best deals of the window, they said for Brighton was Ben White coming to uh, uh, coming to Arsenal. Also third on that list was Aaron Ramsdale going. Uh, so he was he got 17, 17.5% of the vote was from for Aaron Ramsdale's move from Sheffield to Arsenal. Um, so I, it's less about like sort of the the opinions of that. Agents will have a certain bias, right? And they're going to think a deal is good, more likely, when there's more when money involved, right? So it's a bit of a weird survey to make. And then I start to question where, again, and we, this is, feels like the zeitgeist of the podcast at the moment, where the narratives come from of what is a good and bad deal. And it feels like a good deal is when and a good deal in football, it's viewed as a good deal in football by people mm-hmm. in football, is when people are making money off it. So I think I do think mm. it's interesting because I believe Ben White has one agent and, you know, a guy who's looked after him since he was in at Peterborough and he made the money off it and didn't make that much and Brighton got a lot of money and Arsenal paid the money and that was it. It didn't feel like a load of intermediaries. Mm. It felt like very a very sort of slick deal. Whereas there's other deals where there's lots of kind of agents' fees and brothers involved and all that sort of stuff. And those are the kind of seen as the better deals. So I don't know. I just, I, it's another kind of piece to add to the jigsaw of like, where do these narratives come from in football? I think it's, I just think it's interesting. Arsenal spent £150 million on players that didn't involve a single of the larger conglomerate of agents that, you know, your Mino Raiola's, yeah, all of these people. So I think that's something to mention as well. People are always going to be upset when they see, like Arsenal spent the most money in the world this summer. And you're looking at the club that spent the most money in the world this summer, not putting money in the pockets of agents who, whose players aren't likely to have moved because we have seen a massive massive decrease in in transfers so they're not going to be making money so they're going to look at the club that's make that's that's spending money and be pissed off that they're not spending money with them uh i i think there are certain aspects of the ben white deal that do make it one of the worst deals of the window i, I like i do even though i think for he's a good signing and a good player um for us in the sense of we have overspent a lot of money on him and we have you know, a £30 million prospect who also looks quite good. So you're looking at the cost of the, in a weird way, you could say the cost of the white deal is £80 million because if we lose Saliba over it, we're not going to get the £30 million back that we spent for him. So the Ben White deal could end up costing Arsenal a lot of money. And I think that's where, that's where the deal lies. You're not, a bad deal for Arsenal is not getting value for money. A bad deal for anyone is not getting value for money. Ben White for £53 million and possibly pushing 20-year-old William Saliba out of the club permanently could end up being a bad deal for Mm. Arsenal, you know? Mm. Um, Is he still a good player? Yes. Listen, Neymar to PSG for 220 or 230 million quid when they've not won, they they still haven't won the Champions League. For me, that's been a bad deal for PSG. Were they winning Ligue 1 before he went? Yes. Did they bring him in to win the Champions League? Yes. Have they won the Champions League? No. So has it been a bad deal? Yes. Another rhetorical it's question. The same, yes. <laughs> it's the same with Ronaldo to Juve. They were winning Serie A before he was there. They brought him in to win the Champions League. They didn't win the Champions League. And then in his last season, they finished fourth. You know, sometimes the best players in the world can be involved in objectively bad deals because of certain circumstances that have nothing to do with the player's actual quality. But if you look at Ben White from a financial standpoint, it is a bad deal. We have overspent by about at least £20 million. And then if you include the cost of possibly losing Saliba, that is a lot of money to lose. Uh, I don't know. I don't know is the answer. I, I I mean, I do think, as we said before, centre back wasn't top of our list, and uh, you know it was a it was a, a huge outlay on a centre back. Uh, was this the centre back that we needed? 
I mean, you know, you could look at interviews of Arteta saying, you know, when you have Van Dijk who can spray 60-yard balls out to someone's chest and get out of a press, that's all you, you know, that's the difference and, and maybe that's what he paid for. Um, we didn't buy Van Dijk though. Well, exactly. And also if we had someone like Saliba who I think can essentially his ball, his ball playing skills aren't as good, but maybe his ball dribbling, as in um, passing range and stuff isn't quite as good, but is acceptable and, and, you know, you can kind of make do with something else. I don't know. Just when you've got that sort of that profile and that 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 okay, that, just to oh, call your bullshit, Saliba's in the ninety fourth percentile for passes attempted, the ninety seventh for pass completion, the eighty ninth for progressive carries, the ninety third for oh no, the eighty ninth for pro- progressive passes, the ninety third for progressive carries, pro- progressive carries, and then the eighty sixth for dribbles okay. completed. He's also give me completed you know, long balls. That's what I was talking about. You want completed long balls? Let's have a look. Have what a look. I mean is like the sort of raking balls that Ben White plays is something Arteta clearly likes and clearly wanted with 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 White. Sorry, they don't have this set up very well. So, oh, long balls. Uh, he has a seventy percent completion rate on attempting nine point six five per ninety and completing six point six two. And then let's just get Ben White for the comparison because that's probably fair. Okay, so he attempts 11 per per 90 at the moment so far this season with an 80% success rate of 8.8. So you're looking at a uh, 6% differential with Saliba being better by 6%. Wait, is he at Mar- Yeah, no, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm literally reading the wrong stat. Um, at Marseille, Saliba has done... Uh, is attempting nine long balls a game with a, a completing roughly 7.71, 85.7% completion rate. Ben White is currently attempting 11 per game with an 8.8 um, completion uh, and an 80% completion rate. So it's passes longer than 30 yards. So currently uh, Saliba beats him by uh, almost 6%, which isn't a lot. But it is a lot when you yeah. consider we paid a lot of money. Interesting. And that's a narrative I had in my head. I thought Saliba, yeah, I thought White played a lot more of those and completed a lot more of them. So it's similar, really. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sort of makes my point even further. I mean, it's just, a, it's a, you know, the more I think about it, I could under, I could understand it. Uh, but, you know, the fact that Ben White isn't crazily good in the air, um, I haven't seen much of him progressing out yet. Like I, I haven't, you know, I think he's made. An... Do you mean Saliba or Ben no, White? Ben White. I, I, I don't think. I don't think Ben White's particularly. I've heard Saliba's not particularly good in the air, but again, I need to watch more of him. No, but um, neither of them. But it's neither of their. Strengths. Yeah, exactly. But but more to the point, they're like there's no significant like oh Ben White is loads better than Saliba at one one specific thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. It's it's a you bit. You also more have weird. to look. You also do have to give it kind of. One is in Liga, one is in the yeah. Premier League. It's, it, There's a six percent differential when one is playing in the hardest league in the world, so you do have to give them a certain amount of credit. Yeah, for that. and 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 the point being that, like, I don't know, it's just a big outlay, isn't it? And and I hope we kind of see, understand why at some point and go like, right, that's the that's the difference. We've also got to understand that he's 23 and he's still, you know, like he's he's still developing, but so Saliba. So yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's still. I think I think I the jury. I think the jury's still out on that deal. I really I really think it is. I think the issue with Arsenal Football Club is we we've done this a lot. We get it in our head that we have a top target and we'll do nothing if we don't get that top target. Happened with Pepe, and it's now happened with White, where we we're like, this is our top target. We're only going to buy our top target, and then you end up massively overpaying for players because you don't go for alternatives. You know, what would have been better for Arsenal? Buying Nicola Pepe for £72 million or going to a second alternative for cheaper money, uh, even if they both gave us the same end, uh, if not little. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a big risk when a third of our outlay is on a position that we don't think is that important and we have a centre-back who's already profiling pretty much identically. Mm. Yep. Uh, Bradley, we've just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Last time I asked you, name three Arsenal official partners. Are you like sponsors? Three. Uh, Lavazza. Lavazza, I'll give that to you. Lavazza. Um, Rwanda. Yeah, I'll give you that. And then Emirates, the airline. Yeah, I'll give you that. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. 
I was more looking. What ones was I well, missing? There's like, there's like sponsors and partners, and I think I. But I think Emirates is a, is a, is a partner, and I think Random might as be well a, spo- as a sponsor. I don't know. I can't, I can't really tell the difference, but it's on the list, Brad. So you, you get it. Uh, <coughs> your question for next time is: It's Thomas Rosicki's birthday today. Yes, that's that's the question. Uh, how many league titles did he win in his career? It's his 41st birthday today. How many league titles did Thomas Rosicki win in his illustrious career? He was voted Czech uh, Player of the Year three times. He was so underrated by us. Very good player. Very good player. Oh, Brad, it's international break. Uh, so we're going to have some fun oh. pods out for you. We're going to try and get some guests on. We're going to try and do some mailbag stuff. Uh, probably finish off on the profiles at some point. Uh, we're going to also do have a little chit chat about some other coaches. Brad, karaoke. Uh, is that all right? Yeah. What do you want to sing? Um, sha la 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 la. Sha la 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 la. Sha la 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 la. It's Bradley who waits for me. I do wait for you, my friend. No, it's, it's more like okay. you. You wait for me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey man you uh you're coming uh right listen brad it's an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. thank you so much for listening to that thanks guys uh, uh appreciate it hope you enjoyed hope you uh hope you learned i learned mm. certainly um yeah I, th- I i i do think the whole conversation we had at the beginning about how, where we see this like how how we contextualize these these types of games where they fit into the season is is crucial um and yeah i hope hope that was interesting all right brad mm. Pressure. I say pressure as always. Uh, Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, and we will see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and BuyMeACoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, TheDifferentKnock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.